Where do you find purpose? Where is it that you go to find security? Where is it that you go to find the ability to do the things that you need to do? If you're like me, it's easy to go and find uh, lots of people who will tell you those kinds of things. It's easy to find people who will tell you, oh, here is a course that will help you define your purpose. Take these 30 days and read this book and think about these things and journal these things and you can find your purpose. Or something that says, hey, if you get this much money, man, you can live like nobody else. Or like if you just try harder, if you just hustle a little bit more, or if you just do a little bit more self-care, then you're going to be able to do the things that you're supposed to do. Where do you, where do you go to find those kinds of things? Today, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at this idea of purpose, security, and ability. Because we've been going through Ephesians chapter 1, uh, looking at one sentence, one long sentence, verses 3 to 14, but we're going to be at the end today, looking at these ideas of purpose, security, and ability. Go ahead and turn with me to that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this long sentence, really is all still about the beginning of the sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ. Everything in this sentence is about in Christ. You can count up 10 times that in Christ or a version of that is used in chapter, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ is like the clue to understanding what is the beginning of Ephesians about. It's about being in Christ and what we find when we find ourselves in Christ. So go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to, verse, I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. In him, that's in Christ, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to hear clearly what it means to be in Christ. God, help us find the source for our purpose, the source for our security, and the source for our ability in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 1. The end of this is pointing us to what it means to be in Christ, and more of the blessings that we find from being in Christ. And so here's what I want to do. I want to show you today, this passage calls us to go to Christ for purpose, for security, and for ability. I want to show you these three things in order. Verses 11 through 12 call us to go to Christ for purpose. You see, so much of our lives tell us, find your purpose. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that. I want you to pay close attention as we do that. In him, that's in Christ, we also were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This, the beginning of this doesn't sound like a purpose statement. You were chosen in Christ, chosen. That means God picked you. And that can be the kind of thing that actually freezes us. Oh, cool, I'm good. God, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, hey, I'm chosen. God's picked me. I'm, we're good. I have no responsibility here. But that's actually not what's happening in the verse. I want you to see this. He says, being chosen, God, the God who works out everything exactly the way that he wants it. There is no plan 
that's outside of his control. He doesn't like make wishes. He makes plans and he works them out in the same way that he spoke the universe into existence. God is working out his plan exactly the way he intended and it has a purpose. Look at verse 12. In order or so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. It's easy to go, oh, we're supposed to be for the praise of his glory. That's true. And that's kind of the overarching thing. But I want you to notice this description here. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Your translation might say something more like the first to hope in Christ. The firstborn of those who hope. That's what this, it's point, it's calling God's people the first to hope in Christ. He's not writing to the earliest Christians in Jerusalem. He's actually writing to believers in a city in Turkey, most of whom he has never met. And he is saying, you guys are the first to hope in Christ. Paul is writing to us right where we're at, on the church on our block. And he says, you who are the first to hope in Christ. This identity clues us in that God chooses his people because he plans on them not being the last, the first to hope in Christ. You see, we could look at this and go, oh, it must mean, maybe it means the Jews. Maybe it means the Jews are the first and the Gentiles are the second. No, this whole sentence uses us as a description of all of us. The Turkish believers and Paul, Christians throughout the ages, are included in this us. We who were the first to hope in Christ. And so Paul is cluing in that God choosing you, which we've already seen, he lavishes his love on us. God loves us, but he does it. Because he has his eyes on the people that are going to be second and third and fourth. God chooses us in Christ because we're going to be the first, not the last. This kind of choosing doesn't make a complacent people. It makes a people that are expectant. This, this, kind of make, this makes the kind of people who, who realize that God's choosing has a purpose. Yes, God lavishes his love on me. Yes, God lavishes his love on me so that he gets glory. But God is lavishing his love on me so that I would be the first in my family to hope in Christ. God loves my family enough to reach out to me. God loves my neighbors enough to reach out into my life. God loves the people that I work with enough to reach out into my life. God loves the people in our town enough to reach into our lives, saving us. God's choosing is the first to hope in Christ, not the last to hope in Christ, not the only to hope in Christ. You see, I realize the great blessing that God's work is several years ago. I feel like it was probably close to 10 years. And I remember the moment very distinctly because I was in the shower. I'm sure that's a great thought for you right now. But I was in the shower and something occurred to me. I realized I could have been born to any family at any time throughout history, anywhere in the world. But God in his great love for me caused me to be born to parents who loved Jesus, were loved by Jesus. They were the first to hope in Christ and I followed that. Like I realized the incredible blessing it was to be born into a family of people that had heard and responded to the good news of the gospel. And, and I, I remember in that moment just being like, what an incredible act of God's grace that I was born into this family at this time and I got to hear the good news of Jesus. This, this passage calls us to realize that's actually God's work in us through us. It's not just that God has blessed us by causing us to be born in a family, at a town, time, in a town, around people who end up sharing the good news of the gospel. But God loves our neighbors in the same way. God actually has his eyes on our neighbors people on our blocks, and he reached into our lives, saving us so that we have a purpose, 
so that we become the conduit of God's love towards them. This isn't just something incidental or something we put on from the outside and go, oh man, this is a burden Christians are supposed to bear. This passage calls us to begin to see our whole lives around this purpose in order that we might, that we who are the firstborn to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. You see, that's the story that Jonah had to learn. Jonah was okay with God blessing him. God was, Jonah was okay with God blessing Israel, but he was not okay with God using him and using Israel to bless the nations. Jonah was like, no, for me, but not for them. This passage calls us to say the purpose that God has saved us for is so that we would be the first to hope in Christ. And so that we would just be expecting that God is actually pouring out his love on our kids and on our extended families, and on our co-workers, and on our blocks, and on our town, and on the world, by his love for us. That gives us a kind of purpose that we couldn't make for ourselves. We kind of go, oh man, can, in the purpose of my life, can it, be to, can it be the tops in my company? Can it be to advance my career? Can it be to get prestige? Can it be to get better relationships? Can it be to get more money? And God is like, or it can be that you're the firstborn of those who hope in Christ. Because I'm up to something on your block. I'm up to something in your extended family. And so God has a purpose for you in your home and in your neighborhood. God has a purpose for you in your block. God has a purpose for you in your workplace. God has a purpose for you online. God has a purpose for you in your hobbies. It's that you would be the first to hope in Christ. God is pouring out his love in each of those places through you, giving you a purpose in Christ. The second thing we find in Christ in this passage is we find to go to Christ for security. Beginning of verse 13, says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This says, in Christ. And you also were included in Christ. There we go. You were included when you heard the word of truth, the gospel that saves you, the gospel of your salvation. This is pointing us to this idea. You have heard the good news in Christ. You have heard the good news that saves you. This is the truth. And so the call to us is to go, we actually get security from the fact that we actually know the truth. We don't have to wonder, has God withheld something for us? If we are in Christ, if we have heard the good news that God saves sinners in Jesus Christ, if we have responded to the good news, then we can be confident. That's where that security comes from. We don't have to wonder, is there truth that somebody's withholding from me? Is our church withholding from me? Is my pastor withholding from me? Is the media withholding from me? Is the, is the government withholding from me? This says we can know the word of truth, the gospel that saves you in Christ. This is, the Christianity is on, on some level, yes, it is a relationship, but on another level, it is actually a message. It is a word of truth that and we can trust it. Second Kings 18 and 19 tells an awesome story that I love about the King Hezekiah. When he's surrounded by this by the great king Sennacherib, and he Sennacherib's been wiping out cities and countries, and he's coming for Hezekiah and Judah, and he's gonna he promises to wipe them out. And he sends his messenger, and one of the things his messenger says is, Do you think that words are weapons for war? Do you really think that words can save you? And this passage tells us, yes, it does. That's the story throughout the Bible. God, when he's saving people, uses words. And this is the, these are the words that he gives us. This is the, we can actually be confident that we heard the word of truth in Christ. There is no word of truth outside of Christ. And this passage calls us to find security. We know what we need to know. 
You, you, you might be there going, wait, how can I know that for sure? The story of the God, uh, the, the story, this good news that saves us has four parts. Part one is a story about God. It tells us that God created the world. That makes him king over it. He owns it and he rules it and he made it good and he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he put them in there and told them to subdue and rule the world, to fill the world. And then he told them one rule. The second part of the story is that Adam and Eve and everybody after them said, no, God, we will not follow your rule. We will live our own way. We will do our own thing. We want our own kingdoms. That is the nature of the brokenness of the world. The Bible says that that introduced physical death to the world and it introduced spiritual death, which is a destiny for each of us in hell. Part three of the story is a story about Christ that tells us that Jesus came and lived the life that we should live under God's rule and then died the death as a lawbreaker that we should die and was raised to life as God's great yes over Jesus. And then part four of the story is our response. How does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection become mine? They become yours? It becomes ours as we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus alone to save us. The Bible calls it repenting, which is a changing of the mind, a changing of who we, God, we are turning away from our rebellion and we are turning to you and we are with open hands trusting you. You say that you give the free gift of Jesus to all who repent of sin and trust in you. And so we repent of our rebellion and we take Jesus. That is the story of the gospel that saves us. And so in Christ, we can now know for sure that we are saved if we have trusted in Christ in that way. This is the gospel that saves us. So we can be secure. And so right now, do you need to be reminded that you're actually saved, that God's not giving up on you, not because of something you've done or something you might get to do, but God is not giving up on you because you are in Christ. This can be yours. Maybe today you just need the encouragement that God looks at you with a smile. He looks at you with a smile. He's happy with you. The third thing that we find in Christ in this is that we go to Christ for our ability. Verses 13, second part of 13 and 14 says, having believed you were marked in him. There it is again, in Christ. Having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This says, this is pointing us to this promise that if we are in Christ, God has given us a gift. And you're like, Joe, why are you getting to ability? And what I want you to notice is that here he's saying that in Christ, you have been given a seal, a a down payment of your inheritance. But it's not just a stamp. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a tattoo that just marks us. It's actually a living, that is the living Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, giving us the power and ability to please God in a way we've never been able to before. That's what this passage is getting at. That we actually are not just given a mark that lets us in at the end of our lives. It's not just a ticket to get to heaven. And so the guy goes, oh yeah, yeah, you're in. Your your hand is stamped. You've got the piece of paper. You're good. No, this is God himself coming to dwell and empower our obedience in us. This is calling it. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's a down payment that we get to draw from. This isn't just like, oh, you've got an inheritance and you get it when somebody else dies. Or you get, this is an inheritance you get when you die, you're on the other side. This is a down payment that you get to draw on right now. This is a benefit. It's going to be way better later. But like the, the down payment that we have right now is the, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, dwelling inside us, giving us an ability to live in a way we've never been able to live before. 
This is good news. This is good news. What, what is, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. One day we're going to be redeemed in full. One day we're going to have the whole thing. And it's all going to be to God's glory. But right now, we have the promised Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The book of Ephesians unpacks time after time what that's going to be, what that's going to involve. The help of the Holy Spirit in prayer. The help of the Holy Spirit in obedience. The, 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 the promise of the Holy Spirit to come in and empower our lives with God. But this is a down payment that empowers our living now. And so when, when I look at this, this is calling us, go to Christ for ability. Go to Christ for the ability to obey God and to please God. I'm reminded in this. I'm reminded of like other kinds of inheritance that really depends on somebody else dying to get it. And how like, you, you don't want somebody to die for that, to get that. But like, Man, some people have to live a long time. I'm reminded like Prince Charles in Great Britain is in line to be king, but because his mom who became queen, I think when she was a teenager and is now living into her 90s, because she's been blessed with good health, good medical care, that he's now in his 70s still looking forward to the promise of the inheritance of being the king. He won't get it until she dies. And there are benefits to being a member of the royal family, but he may die never actually realizing the promise of being the king of England. Definitely won't be the king for a, like a long extended period of time with lots of well-known things happening during his reign. And I'm sure he loves his mom, so he's not wishing for her death. But like, there's this element where it's like, man, I imagine if you were in line to be king, you'd like, like to be king maybe while you're younger and you get the experience and get to do cool stuff. This passage tells us that inheritance is nothing like that. That inheritance depends on somebody else's death, and you don't really get you don't get to partially enjoy that inheritance. That like he he's got to wait and keep waiting and may never end up realizing it. This tells us we don't have to wait. We get the down payment right now. We actually get the ability with the power of the Holy Spirit to please God, to live in a way that we've never lived before. And so the encouragement for you and me right now is go to Christ for the ability. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living inside us right now, giving us a power to do things we cannot do on our own. So that when God calls us to, to go boldly, to, to live with purpose, to, to go to Christ for security, he's not calling us to do that in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit that he's already given us. And so we have the Holy Spirit empowering us as Husbands, wives, sons, daughters, fathers and mothers, grandparents. We have, the, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God as a single person and to love him with all of our hearts and be satisfied with him, no matter our marital status, married or single. We have the ability, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, because we've trusted in Christ, we have that power to do what we've never been able to do. And so this passage calls us, go to Christ for a purpose, for security, and for ability. Maybe you're listening to this right now, and you are like me, and you're like, wow, most of the time I find my purpose in other places, things I can earn for myself. Most of the time I find my security in what people think about me, how, what, how many possessions I have, how big my account is. Most of the time I try to love and obey God in my own strength, forgetting that I have the Holy Spirit coming to help. 
Where is the good news for you and for me in a passage that says, go to Christ for purpose, securing the ability, and it condemns me because most of the time I find other sources for those things. This passage is good news for us because Jesus is the one who always had his eyes fixed on the purpose of his Father. And yet he died as a lawbreaker for you and for me. Jesus is the one whose security didn't come from what was around him, but from the blessing of his father over him. That says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus died in our place, even though he was finding his security in his father. Jesus is the one who died in our place so that our disobedience does not come between us and the help of the Holy Spirit who makes us able to do what we've never been able to do before. That's good news. That's good news that, that, that us pleasing God does not depend on how well we can get our purpose, security, and ability. We actually get those things as gifts because we are open-handed before Jesus, saying, Jesus, you're going to have to be the source for each of those things. And Jesus says, hey, here's my supply. And so what changes when we begin to live this kind of way? Imagine what changes when your workplace isn't your purpose anymore, when your bank account's not your purpose anymore, when what other people think about you is not your purpose anymore. That sounds like freedom. Imagine what changes when your security doesn't come from outside circumstances, but it comes from the God of the universe who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Imagine what changes when that happens. Imagine what happens when the ability to obey and please God comes not from your own strength, but from the supernatural power of God himself dwelling inside you. That makes a difference. That makes a massive difference in how we relate to those we love and how we do our work and how we find our purpose. That changes everything. That sounds like freedom in each one of those areas. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, that you call us to your purpose for us. You give us a security we could not know on our own. We thank you. You give us the ability of the Holy Spirit living inside us. In Jesus' name.